Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And it's Peyton Jones. And uh, here we are with Church Planner Podcast number 75. 75. <laughs> oh, no, that's how many takes we've done today to start this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. People have no idea what we're talking about. We've started no, they... two other times, forgot we were recording one time, and the second time we were like, uh, yeah, we're not going to use this. Yeah, Pete just wouldn't stop saying inappropriate things. I really wouldn't. <laughs> It's been a bad week, man. It's been a struggling week. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's just good to be here, though, to be honest. Like, uh, I, I feel like, you know, because we've been doing all these, like, great interviews with people, I still, you know, there were certain ones where I felt kind of constrained. It was like when you have to go to a wedding or funeral and wear, a, a like, a suit and tie. You just feel unnatural, you know? And uh, you can't cut loose, right? You can't, like, rip big old farts in a funeral. I always just blame it on the body. I'm like, you know, those things fill up with gases. <laughs> Is that inappropriate again? No, that was great. Okay. That was beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing is that, uh, you know, it, it, there's some of those, you know, you, you can hear like our very first one was with DJ Twing and he was, he was great, man. And, you know, but he, if you listen to that podcast, he's like, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't know how to respond to us, which is funny to me because he's listened to our podcast. So he knows yeah. how we are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you come on here, you should be ready for, for just about anything, I guess. But but uh, then we couldn't do that with other people. You know, like with um, uh, Nagme. Is that how she says her name? Nagme? Yeah, Nagme. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Saeed's wife. I mean, obviously, there's no joking matter there. That that podcast wrecked me man like interviewing yep. her and then i re-listened to it right the day that it came out i think it was like wednesday or whatever just a couple of days ago and uh man i'm telling you that that just like wrecked me that was a heavy podcast i remember when we were done 
I, I remember I, I think I texted you or called you later and said, dude, I'm kind of in like, I'm, I'm stunned, you know, like I'm, and I remember when we interviewed, uh, Zivanda, yeah. Pastor Saeed's sister, I felt the same. I felt stunned. Like when the heck just hit me and you, you couldn't get out. It was like being taken to a whole nother world. Um, you know, the magical place called Iran and being in that mindset of I, I could die for my faith. They're beating and torturing my husband. That was a conversation we came out of. That, that was tough. Well, and she said, you know, one of the things that just killed me both times I heard it, she goes, it takes a lot for the Iranian government to take a prisoner to the hospital. Yeah. And they've taken him several times. And I was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, he, he had been beaten so bad um, that he was having like liver dysfunction, um, internal bleeding. Uh, it was just heartbreaking. I remember one of our listeners uh, texted that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this. It's so powerful and I'm crying in my cubicle. Yeah. And so we knew going in, like, like in one sense, you're kind of in awe when you first get on, like, you're not going to be goofing off on this pie. You just know. And it was kind of like Philip Yancey was the same, right? Like we get Philip Yancey on and, and a lot of people don't know this, but when we have someone call in, uh, they go into this waiting room and we go into waiting rooms too. So sometimes if I come on later or whatever, Pete and I think it's funny to, to kind of goof off when we come in because you're in, you're in this waiting room and it goes. It's the conference call line waiting room, the queue. Yeah. And, and so it says something like, um, you know, please announce your presence. Ding! Like that. And we always have kind of like, yeah, you know, we come in, we like we're parachuting into the, into the conversation. We just interrupt it. We're obnoxious. We, you know, usually do some rebel yell. And, uh, so, you know, but, but when Philip came on, um, he was the last guy on. So it went, ding, and we hear this Philip and, you know, I, <laughs> which you kept trying to call Phil. Hey, Phil, we're best uh, buds. Yeah. Don't, don't open the old wound. And, and so, you know, I, I and his I correction, go, his gentle correction. No, it's Philip <laughs> <laughs> every time. So Phil, Philip, and, uh, that was before the tape rolled, luckily. But uh, I, I think I had it by the time we started. I, w I was severely chastised. But he was a really cool guy. But when I went like, woohoo, when he jumped on, it was like this dead silence. And I was like, okay, that's how this one's going. <laughs> and afterwards, Pete's like, well, hey, you know, like it, was, it wasn't like we could be like, hey, ha, you know, underoos. And then suddenly, so Philip, let's talk about suffering. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work that well together. No. No. So, so anyways, it's good to have the tie off and the suit off. And I feel like we're home, man. Like, you know, we can walk around in our underwear now and scratch and fart. And, you know, I wonder, you know, because I've got to put out another podcast tomorrow, I think I'll probably put out Philip Yancey's tomorrow. So by the time they hear this one, they'll have had a chance to hear the Philip Yancey one. Well, dude, and, and to be honest, Philip Yancey's like, dude, he's like my hero. I mean, I, I waxed a bit fanboy. Actually, I reined it in a bit, didn't I? little bit who did we oh no no no! yesterday or the one that's playing today um that one you 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 held your your fanboy in pretty well tim tim uh challies Chal tim challies yeah. yeah we we wanted to you know i was gonna get tim tim on there and we we're gonna geek out over books and he's like actually i don't read those kind of books i'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> oh okay well let's talk about the books you read yeah yeah but so speaking of books, what are we uh, talking about today? 
Well, we are going to talk today about, uh, it, it's funny, Pete, because remember like, you know, uh, 75 episodes ago, um, you know, you, you said something like, okay, the leadership team, you know, what happens when the leadership team's goofing off? And, uh, I mean, you know, not goofing off, but where it's, it's going wrong. The wheels come off the bus and, you know, there's like, you know, uh, conflicts or personality conflicts or conflicts of interest on the, you know, what do you do with that? And I, and I remember saying, Hey, that's probably a, a topic for another podcast. Because we've now talked about the launch. And, and in one sense, some of our guys would be like, oh, okay, you know, I've listened to this podcast all the way up to the launch. I've heard about the launch. <laughs> Sadly, we, we crammed most of the like really useful. We, we had a lot of principles and we had nuts and bolts that we crammed in at the, at the back end um, of that. I think the last like five minutes, right? Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about in future weeks has to do with the stuff that that really is integral to ensuring your church's health and survival. So don't don't listen to the one leading up to launch and think, oh, that's all I need, and now I'm ready to launch, and away I go. There's a lot more to talk about on that topic. Good. We definitely need to talk about that because, I mean, I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm a hermit by nature. And I generally, for the most part, don't like people. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I hear you, brother. Kind of funny being in sales because um, you're supposed to like people when you're in sales. At least supposed to be a people person, I guess. I don't know, but um, yeah, but I don't think you need to be a people person to be in ministry. Believe it or not, I, I I think God supplies the love for people that you lack. So, for example, you can be like the grumpiest old man on the planet and just be like, "Oh, I hate people." You know, I hate you. And then suddenly, you know, it's like the Lord just, boom, he gives you his love. I think, I mean, look at Saul of Tarsus. You cannot tell me that guy was a grumpy old man. He was a murdering young man. He hated people. He had mm. a zero tolerance. Uh, he has a bit of a temper. God will strike you, you whitewashed tomb. Uh, when he was before the, the high priest. Um, I, I just think Paul hated people naturally. And even John, you know, John and James, you know, Lord, those people wouldn't listen. Call fire down on them. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to call you guys sons of thunder. Then that guy becomes, uh, you know, uh, he becomes the apostle of love. So I think, like Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. His love drives us on. My love doesn't do squat for me. My love uh, comes and goes. It sucks. Um, it's not dependable, but the love of Christ drives me on and compels me. So I think, you know, you're in good company, man. Good. Cause I need it. But I, I mean, I, I understand where we're going with this because as I look at the, the leadership team there at refuge, um, I just see such a huge diversity in the people, for instance, uh, Mike Bonomo, um, dude just cares about people. Totally. Yeah, he's a shepherd. He's my gosh, dude. It's like it's so obvious to me that the the dude's a shepherd, and um, totally just. I mean, that's his heart. That's totally where his heart is. I look at uh, Josh Boyd out in uh, Vegas at uh, Fight Church. I uh, spent a day with him, you know, last month, I guess it was, mm-hmm. and um, I'm like, dude's a shepherd. Full. I mean, hardcore dude cares about people. I mean, he's he's a chaplain, right? I mean. Always asking the fighters, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And um, and that's a skill set that I don't have. I mean, that, I'm not built that way. I'm the, you know, 
suck it up buttercup dude. Mm. So, well, you know, it's funny cause it, naturally the launch, uh, the discussion about the launch last week is going to lead into our talk of leadership. For, for example, um, on the launch, um, you quickly realize who are leaders and who are not leaders. The people that are freaking out and running around like chicken little, the sky is falling. You know, they're, they're all stressed and snapping at everyone. Not a leader, right? Leaders tend to keep their, their head while everyone else is losing theirs, like the old maxim. But, you know, uh, you'll see your leadership emerge as people are on the ground. And, and part of the atmosphere that you need for a launch needs to come from leadership. So uh, one of the things that we do, um, and I did this from day one with our core team, I told them, look, guys, it doesn't matter to me what happens here. Um, it doesn't matter to me if the chairs get put out right. I mean, it does matter. All these things matter. It matters if the sound, you know, works. It matters. But I would say to them, look, that's not priority. Those things are great. You know, if we have them, wonderful. We're not putting on a show. That was the first thing. And relax. No one's going to be mad at you. I'm not going to be mad at you if something breaks or something doesn't go right. Um, we're not here to have stuff go right. So what, what happens is people who aren't leaders, they cannot get the perspective. And you as a leader and your team of leaders need to set uh, kind of the pattern, of the, the atmosphere. You set the atmosphere. You actually change um, the, the, the makeup of the room, um, you know, people, what they, what they feel. So I, I would say, for example, um, you know, I always say things like, what would the early church do? I've come up with these phrases. I know I've talked about it before. But leadership needs to have these same attitudes. The question is, how do you pick your leadership? Um, and, and I would say as your core team's building, it will become apparent who the leaders are. And they'll just begin to, to, to present themselves. And I don't even think by the launch date, you have to have all your leaders sorted. Hmm. Um, you know, it, uh, there's no rules on this. Um, uh, it's great if you have a wingman. Um, that you've planted with two by two, always suggest that someone who's kind of like your equal. But w what I often suggest is kind of what I've done with every church I've planted, serve a while, um, let it become evident to the congregation and um, let the people, it, it'll just be obvious in time who your leadership needs to be. Now I work in a, in a system where. Now, let me stop you right there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you say it'll become obvious who the leadership are supposed to be, what when you're saying leadership, what specifically are you referring to as a leader? Are you referring to, you know, like the five roles? Are you referring to um, what? Yeah. I mean, help me understand what your <laughs> definition of a leader in a church is. I mean, we've had, um, gosh, uh, Frank Viola on, right, who says well, we don't have any clergy Um or, you know, formalized clergy in our, our, you know, house churches. And then, you know, we had, um, Ed Stetzer on earlier this week. who's like, I don't, um, do the team leadership thing. It doesn't work for me. And yeah, I mean, so what, give me your definition. I mean, we've had both extremes. There's, there's a lot of confusion about leadership. Um, a lot of people are, are saying all kinds of different things and, um, and, and there are different opinions and I'm not here to knock anyone's opinion. I just, I'm a guy that has a Bible in my hand. I'm trying to understand it like everyone else. And what, what I can see emerging from scripture is there is team leadership. So there's a team of guys. Now there are those who would say, Oh, we don't believe in leadership. 
You know, Jesus is our leader. Well, he is the senior leader, hopefully, in your church. But what if Jesus actually appointed leaders? What if Jesus believes in leadership? Um, the, the reality is that we're all equal. That's the first thing that, that you have to understand about leadership is um, leadership does not imply inequality. And so some people get all bent out of shape like, oh, I don't believe in leadership because somehow to them, it implies that somebody's better than someone else. As soon as you take that off the table, like, for example, in the Trinity, in the Trinity, there is um, leadership. The father is clearly um, in, in that relationship. He is the leader. But you, you don't. And, and, and then it comes Jesus and then it comes the Holy Spirit. There's a submission order. Uh, that's what theologians tell us. It's pretty easy to, to map it out in the scripture. And yet the very basic definition of the Trinity says that these are co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. They are the same. There's no hierarchy, but there is submission. And so um, submission gets a bad word. So I always bring it back to my marriage, right? Um People have funky ideas of headship and marriage and stuff like this and try to make it. I, I, here's the reality. Nowhere in the scripture does it say if you're a man, you're the boss of your wife, hey, right? as long as she does what I tell her to do, our marriage is going to get along great. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. You know, why did God make male and female? For team, right? It's a team. What is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? It's a team. It's team leadership. So I am I am a team leader with my wife in the family unit for my children. And so there is a submission order. I'm the leader. But how do I lead my wife? Does that mean when we come to an impasse, I'm right, she's wrong? No. Does it mean that when we come to an impasse, she does what I say because I'm a man and I have a penis? No. Does it mean, like, what does headship mean? Well, biblical leadership um, simply means that you serve. You lay your life down. Ephesians 5 spells it out. And so when we talk about spiritual leadership in the church, it's always been serving. And so the number one thing I look for, you know, always a minister, just that very word, servant, deacon, servant, um, that you find that that's uh, the greatest among you will be uh, the, the greatest servant. And so the scripture first and foremost says that you're going to serve. And so there is a sense of calling and there is a sense of, I would do this um, with or without money. I would, I would abandon my nets. I would, and this is where I see a leader, a leader to me is a guy who says, I would leave my net. I would, I would put my hand to the plow and not look back. I would lay my life down for this congregation. Not everybody's there. And not everybody's called to that. So when I look, for example, the the benefit I have is I've been in almost every type of leadership situation. You can, I've been in a at a Presbyterian church. Lloyd Jones's old church was a Presbyterian. I've been in um, Calvary chapels, which is what you call the the Moses model with the man at the top of the pyramid and everybody under him. Um, I've been in uh, team leadership. Um, I've been in a church where they said, we don't believe in leaders, you know, blah, blah, blah. We just have stewards. I can guarantee you, regardless of what your, uh, situation is, there's always a power broker. Someone's always got their hand on the power. So you can, you can say that all you want. Somebody's the, I can walk into a room of almost any church leadership, spend about five minutes with them and tell you that guy's the power broker. Mm. 
because somebody always leads. Even if they're saying they're equal, there's always a leader. And so even when you have a team, which by the way, I I will say this in business, you have to have a leader. (laughs) Like it doesn't work when there's a a 50, 50. In fact, a a guy I really respect in business, he was approached to do a, um, a deal. And the guy who uh, was approaching him said, Hey, you know, I want to do this 50, 50 deal with you. And he goes, okay, well, the first question is who's going to submit to who? And like he wouldn't even go on any further unless it was decided. Okay, in the end, who's got the final decision? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because I've I've come to a different place, you know, where I've rested. Where I don't even get into that. I don't expect because I lead a team, like the team team leadership, are all equal. But there's usually, you know, I always tell people, hey, I'm going to lead this team, and that's probably because for for me. I see myself as maybe the guy who is going to sacrifice the most for it. And to me, that's always a, like, for example, that, that to me is the litmus test. Um, the, the, the reality is Jesus says all other hirelings, you'll find hirelings where they join, say like a board, a church board, and they will never sacrifice. It will never give an inch for the church. They keep their cushy jobs. The churches needed a pastor. Um, and the guy makes tons of money. I remember serving in a church where this guy had an awesome job. He could have and probably should have been the pastor because when I went there as a young man, he wanted to keep all this power that he had, but he didn't have the time uh, to do what he had, you know, to do what the church needed. So it was almost like he was trying to hire me as a hireling, but I was a guy that was ready to lay my life down for that church. Huh. And he was actually the hireling even though he he felt, you know, in his mind, he was hiring me. It led to a disastrous situation. And, um, you know, the, the reality is, uh, I, I remember hearing this old wise pastor in Wales. Um, he he kind of defined it. He was talking to his, his board of elders, and they'd been giving him a hard time, and he'd been at this church for 30, 40 years. And, uh, and, and he made this statement to him. He said, look, when it rains really hard at night, you guys tuck up in your covers and, you know, you, 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 you know, you make some hot chocolate and you get comfortable and you, you know, you do whatever you turn over in bed. He says, I get in my car and I go down to the church and I check the, the roof tiles. I stand outside and make sure the wind hasn't blown roof tiles off so we don't have a, a, a leak in the church. And it's kind of like the difference between the guy who, Maybe is like a weekend warrior. It's his hobby. Leadership is his hobby. And he joins the church eldership because, wow, they asked me to be an elder. And it's a hobby. He will never lay his life down for the church. Just that one little, uh, you know, it's kind of like where Paul says, you know, who sins and I don't inwardly burn. The guy who's agonizing over the church, um, he's earned the right to lead. Does that make sense? It does. I totally get that. But now explain to me, what does that leadership then do in the church? Again, are you talking right. pastoral leadership, elder yeah. leadership? Well, I mean, well, it's elder It's elder to me because the scripture talks about a multiplicity of elders. It never just talks about one dude. What it does talk about, though, is people who kind of lead the team. So, for example, in the book of Acts, um, you, you have the 12 in Jerusalem. And Paul says in Galatians, when I went and visited them, I perceived that Peter... John and James were pillars. So what what he's saying there is he's saying these guys 
were kind of different. These guys were, you know, they, they were, and of course, Jesus discipled them. I believe that he discipled those three as the leaders of the team. And you see James emerge as the leader uh, as he uh, stays in Jerusalem. You see John emerge as a leader as he heads off to Asia. And you see Peter as a leader as he heads off wherever he goes. You know, he goes to uh, Joppa and, you know, he, he becomes a traveler. I mean, Paul says later, do it, you know, can I not take my wife along on my travel? So, but each one of these guys became a leader in their own right. And uh, the other, you know, the other guys went out as missionaries too, but, um, but Paul notes a distinction. These guys are the team leaders. And so when we're talking about it, when you, when you ask me, what do you mean by elders? I, excuse me, burp. I see we can burp. We couldn't burp with other people on the mm, show. Never. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I remember one interview we were doing. I'm not going to say which one it was. You're like, dude, your microphone's muted. I could not <laughs> stop burping. And, <laughs> And I had, you know, these are these are things no one tells you about interviews. I couldn't stop burping, dude. This one person's talking, and I'm burping so loud. And I, I had, I was watching that mute button like a hawk because I could not stop. I was so gassy. See, I remember that one because a lot of people don't realize that when we're doing an interview, you and I are texting each other back and forth. You know, here's where we want to go. <laughs> we need to wrap it up. We need to do this. And I'm like, dude. Because on Google Hangouts, it tells you if you're muted or not, or who's muted. And I'm like, he's been muted for like you know three minutes. Does he? I mean, he's going to start talking and not realize that he's muted. And so I'm like texting, and you're like, I know I'm burping. <laughs> Dude, I was more worried about not having that button push. But in anyways, it, it, it's so funny because you know when when Pete and I are interviewing, a lot of that was one of the serious party. interviews too. <laughs> It was. And, and, and what's really funny is like, you know, like I said, Pete and I felt like, you know, we, we've got these ties on and like these collar shirts and it's just, it's a shirt that doesn't fit us right to be proper and behave. And so there's like this little party going on in the background behind, back and forth on the, uh, the old message. Everyone said it it needs an outlet. It's got to come out somewhere. Right. So the, the, uh, the message has saved us. So back to the subject. So, okay, so the elders, the weird view I have, right? Church Zero, cha-ching, um, lays out that what I believe the multi- Sorry, <laughs> I was the a multiplic- delayed. <laughs> the multiplicity of elders that you find um, all throughout the New Testament, you know, I mean, Jesus sets up 12 guys to uh, to minister to the 12 tribes, right? Um, but, but here's the deal. Uh, uh, the, the multiplicity of elders, I believe, is reflected uh, in, in specific roles in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I know some people are going to say, wait a second, those aren't roles, those are gifts. Um, I hear that so much, and yet I totally disagree. Just because the Bible says that God gifted the church with these guys, I think what he's saying is he gifted the church with these roles. The reason why is because elsewhere in the New Testament, they're described as roles. So the shepherd is very much described as a role. When Paul talks about being apostle and his rights as an apostle, or he's talking about a role. Um, the evangelist he talks about in 2 Corinthians, whose fame has gone throughout all of the region, um, uh, you know, uh, that's a role, right? Um, Philip the evangelist. It's not Philip uh, and his gift. That that that's Philip's role 
Does that make sense? Who had five daughters who were prophets or prophetesses? Those are roles. Does that make sense? Yeah, but um, I don't think women are allowed to be prophetesses. <laughs> yeah, prophetesses? you guys take that up with the New Testament, pal. <laughs> I know. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Don't strike me. Don't strike don't me dead. Play. Don't play. This is serious stuff. Pete. Sorry. Sorry. Back, but, back to serious. But, but <laughs> here's the thing is that um, the, the multiplicity of elders in, in your most ideal church planning team, you have five guys. You have your church planner, uh, Apostolos sent out one missionary, whatever church planner. You have a prophetic leader. You have an evangelist. You have uh, a shepherd. You have a teacher. Uh, and I'm sure I left one out. Okay, right? but what if you don't have those? Like when you we talked with, don't with have them all. I mean, you normally I, I can't remember who we're interviewing the Neil other day. Cole. We were saying, Neil Cole, you very rarely do. And the the most amazing team up ever is the apostolic and the prophetic role. When you get those two guys together, stuff just happens. Miraculous stuff just busts out left and right. It is the coolest thing. I mean, Jeff, who I served with, I talk about him, Church Zero. He just visited me for two weeks last year. Oh, I didn't even catch that one. Uh, it, 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 he came last last year, and uh, he and I, just in two weeks, we, we, were, we were so busy doing stuff that was miraculous in nature, supernatural in nature. Um, I'll, I'll never forget like him at the church plant, man. Just like people just lined up. You know, to, for the prayer at the end of the service. I've never seen that. There are like 10 to 20 people lined up needing prayer after. And he wasn't like, hey, you know, uh, we're doing miraculous things. Let me get these babies on you, you know, like Miyagi with his hands. Um, it was just, I, it's just a spiritual thing that happens. It's like a spiritual reaction. Um, it's powerful. But you frequently, like right now in, in Refuge Language, we, we don't have a prophetic leader. And I mourn that um, because that's the guy I serve the best with. Um, and you frequently see in the New Testament prophets and apostles traveling and um, they're frontline guys, both of them, um, moving around together. Uh, and and the, the evangelist is also a bit radical. So I, I get on with those guys. I have, I have this crazy evangelist. You know, we, we, Pete and I talk about Breaking Bad. You know, he's Heisenberg and I'm Pinkman. Well, the, the actual spitting image of Pinkman was my evangelist in uh, Pillar Church in Wales. Guy was just, I mean, he is so like Pinkman. Andrew is watching Breaking Bad right now, and she's like, that's Alex. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. All I can think of is you had a guy who was totally drugged out and pretty much lost. Ex-druggy, ex-alcoholic. And he's your evangelist? Okay. Oh, I'm right. telling you, man. He was the most street evangelist I've ever seen in my life. Um, guy was a total black belt. You know, he'd tell people, you know, hey, uh, you you just chopsy. You want a mouth off on preaching? You want to shut up and listen and maybe get saved? And like they'd be like, oh, and he's like, all right, tough guy, I'm a black belt. Come on up. But if I kick your butt, you're gonna listen to me preach to you, right? And he would draw these massive crowds. But he'd cry. He'd cry, man. He was a tough dude, but he'd cry. And uh, you could tell he had rough life written all over him. And uh, but people would say to me, how in the heck do you pastor that guy? Um, I, I had him at times like shouting at me in the parking lot, what a jerk I was. And I, I would just tell people, I love him. I get him. I just get him, you know, just period. That guy lives for the gospel. That's all he wants. 
And these three roles in those five, uh, the first three are the radicals, and God tipped the scale. So there's three radicals and two conservatives. The church today is being run by shepherds and teachers. Those are the conservatives. That's why the church is so conservative, right? Because we've lost these other three roles. Part of the reason Church Zero was written was to tell people, don't try to fit like a square peg in a <laughs> You just got your finger on that button. You I'm know just waiting, baby. Are, baby. I know you're going to drop the church zero. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but but that's the deal. Those conservatives are running the show. We need to restore uh, the radical roles. Jesus tipped the scales so that the church would be slightly more radical than conservative because we're an outward expanding movement. So when you get these guys together in your church plan, it's going to look different. You won't have them all and you won't even recognize all their gifts. It takes me a little bit to recognize what people's, I have to see them in action. That's why I'm saying your church plan may need to run a little bit before you can actually see them. I didn't know Bonomo was a shepherd until I started seeing him in action. Um, Ruben, I still don't know if that dude's an evangelist or an, or an apostle, but I'm pretty sure he's an apostle. I think, think he's a serial apostle. That guy starts stuff on accident. He sneezes and a church starts. You, you realize he just started another one in his house Sunday nights. I do. I do. He's like, oh, I'm working construction up here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my cousin, you know, I went and shared the gospel with her. And she asked me if I'd, you know, come every Saturday. Boom. He goes and does that. He starts a little house church. He hands off like 20 people to a, a church up in, uh, I can't remember what city it was. And uh, the, the dude's amazing. Everywhere he goes, something starts up. He started a little mini church in the park, you know, um, during the week. And people would be like, dude, we're, this is our church, man. You know, <laughs> just, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's, he's apostolic, but he's a crazy evangelist. Hmm. So, you know, so, so these guys will work in a team. There's a reason for multiplicity of elders. It's not just because God's like, hey, man, if I let just one dude uh, be here, the power you will, will go to your head. There are times you're church planning and your right hand guy ditches you and goes, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, but normally in the scripture, when you see people ditching each other, like Paul, right? Um, he and Barnabas split up over the, the decision over John Mark. Um, first thing Paul does is goes and grabs Silas and is like, hey man, Silas, let's go. And then they start adding Timothy. And so, you know, they add to their Oh man, I'm burping a lot today. It's just, I'm drinking this sparkling water. One thing, one habit I picked up in uh, Europe is sparkling water. And it's stocked in my fridge. Like, that's the only drink I have in my fridge. That's not the only drink you have in your fridge. (laughs) That is true. It's not the only (laughs) sparkling drink I have in my fridge. Every once in a while, you go, hey, don't tell anyone, but I got to drink a beer on this podcast. Yeah, it's true, man. I'm all out of water. I got to, I got to wet the palate. Yeah, the the sparkling water is so good. You know that commercial where it's got like the bubbles with brushes on them that like go around your tub. Yeah, that's what it does yeah. for your throat. It's amazing. <laughs> that's what. Okay, sure, all right. You know, we clean your throat so you don't have to. Look, you know, I'm sorry. Way. I'm an American. I'm not drinking sparkling water. Oh, dude, it is the best kept secret of Europe. I'm just telling you, and it should stay there. <laughs> So, anyways. So, back to, here's my question, though. Uh, Okay, so let's say you've got a a handful of people who you're like, these are the type of people who are going to die for the church, so to speak. Um, If they had a building and there was a big storm out, they're worried about, you know, what's happening. Or if something really bad is going on in the city, I'm sure they're the guys that run down there and open up the doors and, 
hey guys, you know, come in, you know, that's because they care about the people, they care about the church. What, so what's their role? I mean, like yeah. not, not no, biblical role, but what are they supposed to do for the church? Okay. So the first thing is, um, if you got a guy like Mike Bonomo, Shepherd, he's going to naturally gravitate towards like drugs and alcohol because he sees people's needs. He's like, hey, these guys not are not addicts. as a user. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even hear it that way. But he's gonna he's gonna gravitate towards recovery ministry. Shepherds always do that, right? They're the guys they'll sit down and almost like AA sponsors, right? Um, he'll counsel people. He'll spend. He'll have his phone blowing up because everyone's coming to him for prayer. Um, that's what shepherds do. And so you, you see that I saw that in Mike, I'm like, okay, that dude's a shepherd. Right. And he would, he would do so much counseling for people and, uh, sitting and praying and listening and talking to him. Um, Ruben, and you, you like, know, let, let me back up before you go on to the next type of person. I think a really important thing for our church planners to, um, keep in mind is that because we've had this conversation Mike Bonomo is that shepherd, and one of the things that we're trying to do is figure out how can we get this guy, you know, basically paid by the church so he can do that as a as a you know full time thing or even more of a part time thing. I mean, he's always going to do it, but like, how great would it be if he could be freed up just to do that? Whereas I think a lot of churches, you look at it and you go, okay, well that's great, but really, church is about Sunday morning. And, you know, the Wednesday night service. So that's what we need to be focused on. And, you know, we need a, a child care ministry. But someone who will actually go out and do that type of stuff, even at Absolutely. a – I mean, not – I mean, you sometimes hear about that right at the mega church, right? Oh, we got the family pastor, and he goes out and does the counseling. And, well, yeah. that's great because you got 18 pastors at your church. But how about the church plant that doesn't even have a full-time pastor yet? I think well, if they've it. got someone like that, they need to have that person and realize – that's a valuable position in this church, or not position, but role in this church. And and if you've got someone, you know, that's that's the ministry. That's that's the heart of it. Does that dude, make you've, sense? You've nailed, dude. You've nailed it. You've actually nailed Woo-hoo! it. The the reality is, <laughs> good boy, Pete. Um, it, it, here's the thing. You actually, if if you don't recognize it, if you if if you just you know the, the pastor only model. This poor guy's trying to kill himself, trying to meet with everybody, trying to prep all his messages, trying to, you know, come up with new evangelists, you know, creative ways to evangelize. You can't do it all, man. God didn't design it. The pastor cannot, the quote unquote pastor and the pastor only model can't do it. And that's where I, when Frank Viola is like, dude, I don't believe in um, clergy. I have to agree with him. I believe in roles, though. What I believe is that there are guys where they're just kind of little powerhouses of that specific thing. But each believer, so when you ask what do they do, there's a couple things. Number one, they contribute. They just do their thing. Shepherds, shepherd. Evangelists, evangelize. Uh, Apostles, plant churches. They just do their thing. But then in a team dynamic, what they do is they bring that perspective to the team. And then the third thing they do, and I'll, I'll talk about you know a couple of these on their own. The third thing that they do is they equip others to do it. So they empower the body to do these same things. And that's where when Frank's saying, I don't believe in clergy, um, their role in Ephesians 4 is to equip the saints. So you find these guys that are powerhouses of that. Or Mike, he's all shepherd. You're not going to find Mike 
um, doing things that he's not wired for, like probably planting a church or, you know, maybe he is, I don't know, but I'm just saying like, he's got his speciality and he could train so many people to shepherd. In fact, the average believer who's not called to leadership, in other words, that's not the role that God has given uh, to that individual. And this is where some guys differ. Some people are like, no, everyone is one of those five. I don't agree because not everybody's an elder. I see that as synonymous with eldership. But where I'm at is I think that every believer has those five areas in their life that need to be stimulated. So, for example, um, I'm Joe Believer, right? And I've got Mike Bonomo, and I don't like people. Um, I need Mike Bonomo to teach me to sit down with the addict who sits next to me or across the table from me in church and to teach me to love people and to see them the way Jesus sees them and to gain a heart for them. And I learned that by watching Mike. Does that make sense? Ruben, it does. It does. So you're saying you, you, would just, to the, you would watch him. Like how does yeah. he interact with people? Yeah, exactly. So like for me, right? Like um, we've got a dude coming right now um, who is a heroin addict who was suicidal. I've talked about him before. Such a transformation. He's bringing people now. And it's kind of like, you know, if somebody sees what I model is evangelism a lot for the church. It's not my number one strongest gift, but um, but I will always evangelize people. And so when we do those barbecues at Bixby Park, um, we do this open barbecue where we cook this crazy good food and we invite this entire park. This, this park is huge and we just anyone can come. And so we get lines of like, I think last time we had about 100 people line up and, and we're just talking we're not we don't have anything that we're they don't sign up for anything we don't you know it's not gimmicky it's literally just talking to people it's that organic hey how you doing boom 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 you know i'm so and so and you know i want people to see me evangelizing what christians will tend to do at an event like that is they'll grab their food and then all sit down together and talk to each other and i want people to see that i don't do that so I, I want to pull on that part of the believer that tends to, to isolate, and I want to pull something out of them that God's put in them. And that is basically uh, God, God pulls out of them this, uh, uh, this I'm going to use you to evangelize. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Church planning um, helps keep Christians dangerous. This is a dangerous faith. I mean, if you've listened to the... Uh, the, any of the podcasts that we've had, you know, this is a dangerous faith. Christianity is dangerous. And so that's what we're saying. That's what we're doing. So, um, I, I, I recruit Christians to church plant. They get mad at me a lot. I make very bold statements. I make provocative statements. Um, I say things that, that let Christians know, Hey, you know, it's not about your comfort. Um, it's, you know, it's not about you having your church that, that, you know, um, what are you doing for Jesus? But but here's the deal, you know, you you've got these all of these areas that need to be pulled out, and that's what those leaders do. They pull that out. So if you have a prophet, prophet, first thing he's gonna want to know is what's your gift. You know, he's gonna be looking and seeing, do you have the gift of prophecy? Do you have the gift of giving? Do you have the gift of encouragement? He'll pull your gifts out because that's a prophet's speciality. See, that's interesting to me because um I have no idea what my gifts are. So <laughs> you have the gift of podcasting, Pete. I am the Podfather. <laughs> you are the Podfather. Didn't we? Didn't we actually give that term to someone else? I thought we gave it to you or something, didn't we? Or was it uh, DJ 
that we gave the term to. We, we might have. We probably freaked him out by calling him. But we did call Ed Stetzer the godfather of church plant. We did. Yeah. He now bears that title. Yeah. Yep. Leave the guns, take the cannoli. But he's a solo leader, so you know, he's out of this conversation. <laughs> well, and he made, he made the statement, you know, that, that team leadership, uh, it, it didn't work for me personally. It's the only thing that ever has worked for me. Yeah. Um, I think for, for me, I see, because I, I, I've run so many organizations that I know my deficiencies as a leader, like to me, they're, they're overwhelmingly obvious that I have to work with other people who who I can spot and say okay this person's got the strength that I don't have I need them to to you know do this um usually it's dealing with the people because that's just not what my strength is um when when it comes down to it and 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 I think you you know exactly the strengths uh that you have you know other people complement your weaknesses that's that's what happens so for example if we're together and we're in a leadership meeting right um I, I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, I told you, you know, I don't look like, hey, you got to submit to me, pal. You know, I am the, the team leader. I just think someone needs to lead the team. Someone will always naturally lead the team. Someone needs to be the pillar. But when, let's say Charlie and I, right? Charlie and I served together beautifully. So did Chris and I. And these are like all different guys, you know. Um, when you serve with other guys, I mean, you know, two guys on a team, it's it's cool. It's bare minimum, right? Um, it's greater when you have more, it's funner too, but let's say, I love that word. Yeah. You know, I can't get off that. It's like, ain't, I still say ain't, but, uh, but here's the deal. Um, when Charlie and I would disagree about something, when I understand this team leadership, it's not that he's wrong and I'm right. It's that Charlie's a teacher and he's probably coming at it in the way that God wired him. He's, He's thinking about this like a teacher. Um, I'm probably thinking about it like an apostle and I'm, I'm more radical. He's conservative. I'm radical. And, uh, that's probably why we're not seeing eye to eye, but, but God put us together. And so both of our perspectives, if there's like his option and my option, I've learned over the years to believe that there's a third option. And that's probably Jesus's option. It's probably the one who called us both together. He's like, look, guys, um, let me step in between you here. Peyton, you've got points. Charlie, you've got points. And I brought you together so that you'd put your, his peanut butter together with your chocolate and come up with the Reese's. So, so the third option. So is how, how do you how do you um, deal with we those? Pray. We pray. So like mm-hmm. with uh, Charlie and I, uh, you never have to rush, you know. And if it becomes about power uh, and control, that's why leadership has a bad name. It's about serving. How can we best serve yeah. these people? And so with that situation, what I've always wanted to do is say, like with Charlie, you know, Charlie and I, we, we disagree. And we were like, well, let's pray about it, you know, and we would go away and pray and seek the Lord. And always Charlie would come back with greater insight uh, and see how I was right. No, I'm just teasing. No, he would come back with greater insight and I would come back with greater insight. And sometimes what was really cool is when we come back and we'd have an identical plan. Dude, I know what we need to do. And it wouldn't discard either one of our. There's a respect for the other roles. So uh, like uh, just sharing one of my failures, um, uh, I can remember, and I think I've mentioned this before, that we wanted to do uh, church outreach in a trucker stop. Um, and, yeah. and, and so like I'm like, hey, we're going to do this. And we, there's a Burger King and the truck stop. And there's a kid's player. And we'll do Sunday school there. And um, 
And the, the shepherd, one of our teams are, are, we have, by the way, we also have females on our team. What? Uh, what? And, and, and so like when you're talking about like, you know, um, govern and, and, you know, uh, where Paul says, don't let them teach and, and, and govern, you know, or have authority over a man. Um, here's the deal. Uh, with your, with your elder team, that doesn't become an issue if it's a team. The reason why is because, for example, we have females on our team. A, there are wives, or it might, it doesn't have to be a wife. It could be, you know, but my wife, um, she has very much a shepherding heart. I do not have, right? Um, apostles have all of the other four roles in them in greater, lesser degree, but shepherding is not my strongest point. Um, my wife, that's one of her biggest uh, gifts that she has. So what would happen is, um, the, for example, like, like when in the same way, Paul says, I don't allow, uh, a, a man to teach and have, or a woman to teach and have authority over a man. Um, I don't allow men to have authority over women. In other words, I don't allow my guys to go and I wouldn't allow Bonomo to go and, uh, shepherd a, a female. He's a married man. Um, I don't want him getting all intimate and emotional with, uh, some chicks problems. I look to Mike and say, well, who do you, and he's like my wife, you know, God put us together for a reason. Lisa can sit down and talk with those females. And so that's what we do. But anyways, so we always have females on the team. Um, they are leaders in their own right. And without going into the, the whole big conversation about all that, um, on a team leadership, uh, it doesn't become an issue. Um, you know, the hangups that people have, but it's, it's a whole new paradigm. Some people got to think about it, um, think it through, but it makes a lot of sense. It's a two-sided coin. So when, when this woman spoke up and she's like, Peyton, what about the families? What about the kids? I hadn't even thought, you know, about like Sunday school. She's like, look, um, this is our one opportunity to really pour spiritually into the lives. You're just talking about them playing in an area. And, and look, I'm not knocking that. That's great if our kids play, but um, we could do that any other time. But what about their spiritual input? You know, don't, don't we count them as a part of the church and blah, blah, blah. And I just hadn't thought it through. And I needed the perspective of a shepherd to see where I was maybe very one-sided. I was only thinking like, let's go out and do radical stuff and conquer the world. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that you hit on that, um, I think makes all the difference in the world is having that, that uh, mindset of what is the purpose of what we're trying to do. And that's, what's driving your decisions. So what I mean by that, um, I, I, one of the things I've always been amazed at, and you know, I've said it before on the podcast, but our uh, sending church, Bill Welsh, the, the senior pastor there, if if it has to do with um, with with reaching the lost, if it has to do with promoting Jesus, he's all for it. Yeah, and that's so rare. And not that you know, I mean, don't don't misunderstand me. People are gonna be like, "Oh, what do you mean? We're all about reaching the lost and sharing Jesus." We are to a degree, and then it's like, well, this is starting to infringe on you know the church and what we want for the church. And for instance, um, at that church, I mean, the church now is, I don't know what it's up to, but when we stopped going there and started going to, uh, the church plant, um, they were like 2000 a weekend. So, I mean, it was a pretty good sized church. Yeah. 
And someone there wanted to uh, start a business networking group for the business people who were in the church. And some churches would have a problem with that. You know, we don't really want to have businesses here. But, but you know, Bill was like, hey, look, I think that's a great idea. So, you know, how can we support you? How can we help you? And my, my point is this. When you've got that that overriding goal, that vision, this is what we're here to do. When we disagree with something, if we can come back and go, okay, what is it we're trying to do again as a church? We're trying to reach the lost. Well, okay, who specifically? I mean, each church probably has their own, you know, as uh, as Rick Warren put it, Saddleback Sam and Saddleback Samantha, right? I mean, they knew who they were trying to reach. They had it mapped out, you know, they're yuppies, they're this, they're that. And, you know, I mean, they, they knew who they were trying to reach. Um in Refuge Long Beach, we know who we're trying to reach. We know uh, the the demographics of the area. Uh, we know the family or, or lack of family makeup uh, of our ideal people. So when you, you go at it and you go, okay, here's what our ch- goal as a church is, and we've got a disagreement. Okay, well, what's going to actually help us get to that? I mean, I, I think that's such an important thing. Instead of, like you said, coming back from the power position, well, you know, I planted this church. You know, I, I'm the oh, big kahuna. You, you again, you nailed exactly why it happens. People think of it as my church. This is my ministry. You know, the the refreshing thing for me was the day I quit ministry. The day I told God, I'm done. I hate these people. I hate ministry. I am through. I can't stand church. The day that I said that was the day I got freed up to become a serial church planner. It stopped being about me. And every church I planted from then on, I wasn't staying at. And let me tell you something that so changed the dynamics. And it weren't my church. I actually feel I wasn't ready to plant churches, even though I'd been a part of church plants before then. I wasn't ready to lead a church plant until I'd gotten to the point to understand this is yours. And even when I planted Pillar um, in Starbucks, when it was all kicking off, and the Holy Spirit was really working. I'm like, God, you're you're doing it. It's yours. You better sustain this thing. It's not my church. Um, I don't really give a rip what happens to it. Um, if if you want a church to start, you better your Holy Spirit. You got to do everything because I have no interest. And that 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 disinterest was not a disinterest in people. It was a disinterest in the institution, and that is a prerequisite. Um, churches where guys plant and they see it as their efforts, as their hard work, they feel entitled in. It's their baby. It's their ministry. And that's where guys get protective. You know, as soon as you own something, you feel you must protect it. So the answer is to not own it. And when you don't own it, you know, who does the power go to? Power is Jesus's. And if your church plan is not the kind of church plant where um, people are aware that Jesus is here and he's in charge, then you are doing something wrong. Mm. <laughs> There's a problem, and it's a spiritual problem. So here's the deal. Um, I would also say um, very strongly that uh, you need to pray, and you need to pray with these guys regularly, once a week. If you cannot carve out an hour of time to pray and talk at least, um, Charlie and I talk on the phone. We're like two junior high girls, you know. Um, Chris and I talk on the phone. I talk on the phone. You know me, right, Pete? 
we talk like little girls, man. Because I'm not a little girl. I resent that. <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> That's our favorite question. We call. What are you wearing? <laughs> what you doing? But but. <laughs> Sorry, I don't I acknowledge that. that. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Crank caller, like, crank okay. caller, crank caller. We, we, we got it. We got to start the podcast all over again. <laughs> I, I can't have that go live. But but here's the thing. The <laughs> but here's the deal. Um, you need to be talking and praying with them, and it won't work if your only communication is when there's a problem. You need to form relationship. That's what happens. You walk together. You become buddies. You eat meals together. Just going out to eat as couples. Um, hanging out at each other's houses. Going out to coffee together. How's your life? How are you doing? I still, to this day, I was talking with Jimbo yesterday. I still keep up with people that have been a part of my team that I'm not even serving with anymore. Um, just because, the, first and foremost, as a serial church planner, I, I, it's not about quote unquote my ministry. I just love these people. And I have this theory that you cannot affect me. This is opposite from what you're going to hear from a lot of leaders. I do not believe you can effectively serve with people unless you're close with them. I know other leaders disagree because they've been hurt and they've got some, you know, maybe wounds that haven't. I have been hurt by almost every person I have ever worked with, right? And before I was a serial planner, I got hurt really bad. And I can just say I've gotten hurt a lot less since I've taken this team approach um, and it and it weren't about me. But these people become my friends. You know, they're, they're people that I, I would just hang out with them. Like you're coming up Saturday. We're just hanging out. Like that's how I am with my leadership, you know. Um, well, you know, it, it reminds me, too, of a um, an article that Charlie – uh, wrote for us for the magazine that we haven't run yet, even though we've had it for months and we probably won't run it for a really long time because it was I forgot a, about that. Oh yeah. I've got it, man. It was a review uh, from a very famous church planning author. It was a review of one of his uh, books and which, you know, Charlie basically tore it apart because the, the book that is, and he said, you know, this, this guy is saying stuff that is just not right. You know, and one of the things that the guy stressed on is don't uh, don't basically pour yourself into your core team because they're not going to be with you for the long haul. So, you know, essentially they're there for right now. Use them for what they're good with. But, you know, don't spend too much time with them because they're not going to be there a year from there. And I remember Charlie saying, man, that's using people. Yeah. And, you know, it's so important that you love people and that you care about that team. We've talked about this before, so I won't go into it, but loving your team is important when people know you love them. You know, it's like us with the Lord, right? We know we love him because he first loved us. Love never fails. You just love those people. You look at second Corinthians and Paul's being ripped to shreds by those people. And he just loves them. You know, he just says, I'm, I'm like your father. I'm like your mother. And I agonize over you and I love you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's really important to love your core team. Look at Paul working with his teams. He got hurt by his team. He uh, sometimes felt abandoned by his team. But he could also turn around and say, um, I have no one like him. Or, you know, uh, I was spared sorrow upon sorrow when the Lord spared Anesiphorus from death. Or Timothy, my true son in the faith. 
this is a guy who is close to people on his team. And that's really important. So when it comes down to personality conflicts, as we uh, uh, finish up here, um, don't. there's a couple things about conflict. Um, I've learned over the years to always, always, even though I'm a grumpy fart and I sometimes have a, a temper uh, issue, um, I don't I don't let my temper get the best of me anymore in leadership situations. I keep my mouth shut and I listen. I say, you know, if someone's at, I'll say, well, let me think about that. Let me pray about that. And uh, let's talk about it again. Or if someone, you know, is acting really stupid, I might just say, hey, man, you know, let's let's talk later. I don't. I don't react to things in the heat of the moment unless people are in danger. Um, and I've learned that over the years. If, 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 even if one of my leaders writes something and it hits me the wrong way, I wait 24 hours. By the way, um, the biggest mistakes I've ever made in leadership be like something busts loose at church and someone does something that really irritates the crap out of me. And I go deal with it then. I always wait till Monday. Hmm. Always let 24 hours go by. And I can tell you by the next day, it hasn't bothered me so much. I'm not in the flesh anymore. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. I'm thinking about the person and they're good. I've had time to cool down and to think, right, so-and-so, uh, not picking, I'm not going to mention any names, but so-and-so, you know, um, why did they do that? And where, where's there an opportunity for me to disciple them now and to shepherd them and to develop them as leaders? I mean, look at the 12. Look how bad they screwed up, right? And Jesus was perfect. And, you know, he, even at times he, he was like, Hey, you know, um, how long do I have to bear with you? It's hard in leadership, but, but I've learned I'm not Jesus. I need those 24 hours to cool down. And, um, I have argued with, uh, Charlie, he and I argued once about, um, it was only once and it was, it was a sad thing. But when you argue with your friends, they're still your friends. And that's the key. You stay friends. You don't get stupid and you don't get personal. Like you said, Pete, you keep it. We're here to serve these people. And there might be like a, a difference of opinion or philosophy or whatever from time to time. And you just work that through. Yeah. I yeah. hope that helps. It does. Personality conflicts usually are, are more directional conflicts. So um, we had one of our deacons um, who left uh, inappropriately. Um, and I loved him. I can honestly say like Jesus with Judas and I don't make that, um, comparison by any means. He, he didn't do anything to me like what Judas did. He hurt my feelings and that was it. You know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, he was like the devil or anything, you know, but, but he left and he, he left in a very immature way if I'm honest now. Right. But, um, but the reality is, is that, you know, I, I can say like it says of Jesus in the scripture that he loved him. Um, unto the end, I showed so much patience and so much grace and so much humility that I can walk away from that situation and say, I was cool. I actually dealt with that guy, um, as cool to, to the, to the extent where he really got the best of me. I mean, he really, in, in more way than one, he really took advantage of me, but he got the best of me in that way, but he also got the best of me. You know what I'm saying? Like he got, I told got you I was sorry. <laughs> Your wound has never healed, my lord. <laughs> Old quote from uh, Excalibur there, but uh, but that's it, man. You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we're all screw ups and we all make mistakes. And I tell my team all the time, every time they screw up, I tell them, "Hey, I told you this in the beginning." And I told them at the beginning, you know, I said, "Hey, man, 
now's your time to make all your screw ups because you're safe with me and I'm here and I can clean up most of your messes. So, um, so they do screw up and I, I I've done this enough where I know they're going to screw up and that's going to be okay. Um, we didn't get into elders and deacons and what the differences are and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But maybe that's another talk for another podcast. Great. As long as we can stretch that out. Cause you know how I feel about that. I know you love to talk about topics week after week, the same topic. I know you love that part one and two. Dude, I got such a short attention span. It's like, <laughs> if I can't get that in one podcast, I don't know. Dude, you're like, you're my, you're my Rod Tidwell. Show me the church plant. <laughs> That's all you care. I love the church planter. <laughs> you know, there are some people going, what? What's he talking about? Dude, we actually got a Jerry comment. Maguire. I know. Oh, oh, dude, I was going to share a couple of things I forgot. But we actually got a, a comment from someone, I think, on uh, Facebook. And they were like, yeah, I didn't know who uh, Dr. Walter Martin is. But after I listened to those podcasts, you know, now I do. And that's awesome. And, yeah, I'm going to give a shout out. That was John over in Wales. John is a mean blues player, and he was my movie buddy. He was part of my church plant in uh, Swansea, and that was a killer quote he put. Yeah, because, I mean, um, I only knew about him literally because of my father, and I was dealing with so many Mormons, and he's like, oh, get Kingdom of the Colts, Walter Martin. He, he's the he's the go-to guy. I had no idea who he was, you know, outside of that. I mean, yeah. And uh, and by the way, another I just got to bring this up. I know we're closing it out, and you're about ready to do our our final little end hurrah. But uh, we did. Thought you get... were going to say, and you're about to pee because that that's actually true. <laughs> no, well, yeah, you are. I mean, you got the bladder the size of a pea. But uh, um, we actually got someone else had had sent us, I think, on Facebook or his email or Facebook, a link to uh, body parts that are useless. <laughs> Do you remember me telling you about that? I saw that. And the guy goes, ah, look at number three. <laughs> and number three was male nipples. And uh, interestingly enough, it gave the reason that men have nipples, which remember I said, I don't understand why men have nipples. Yeah. And uh, the reason is, is because embryos start out as female until they get the, uh, what is it, the Y or the X chromosome, whichever one it is, that turns them into a male. And so the nipples are left over from before they get that other X, Y, Z chromosome deal. I like the mystery inherent in male nipples. So again, it brings back my question. I don't think Adam had nipples. Dude, I'm just telling you, it's better when it's left a mystery. I don't think he did. I don't think God formed him as an embryo. I think he formed him as a full-size man. Hey, and therefore, pulling, no nipples. Thomas told me on me, man. No blinding me with science. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, you know, when he had his first son, do you think he was like, what's going on? Dude, if we get to heaven and we see Adam If we get to heaven. His... Hey, hey, hey. I, let's, let's clear <laughs> something up here. I'm working hard on it, Pete. I'm not I'm doing this thing there. for an if. <laughs> I'm just saying when we get to heaven. Okay. okay? All right. Do you have assurance of salvation? When we get to heaven... um. It, and we see Adam walking around, and he doesn't have nipples. Uh, that that's gonna look weird, and we're all gonna be thinking, "Hey, Adam looks weird over there." Dude. <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't know, man. Don't look if at I him. didn't have nipples, I think I would definitely be walking around shirtless. I'd be like, "Hey, check me out." Well, Adam, he probably wouldn't be uncomfortable because he's like, "Oh no, I don't have shame when I'm naked anymore." I I 
the Lord dealt with that. But but also, what if this? What if in the glorified body, none of us have male nipples? Mm. Then you'll know. Then you'll know. But I kind of miss them. You'll miss them? Yeah. I wouldn't miss them if they hadn't been there in the first place. But you know, <laughs> I've kind of gotten used to I touch them a lot. <laughs> oh, I don't want to hear about you touching your own nipples. So There's if you have do. a comment I'm, when for I'm this particular... My muscle, you know, it's like the little... It's like the little pump me up button for my uh, for my big chest muscles. Lovely, dude. Hey, all I'm saying is I'm a kid of the '80s. When I was a kid, I had the uh, Incredible Hulk. Uh, oh, you didn't see that, I bet, because you didn't watch TV. I was like, I Bobby saw the Boucher's Incredible Hulk. Box. Oh, I was allowed no, to watch but, the Incredible Hulk. Well, but don't you remember the commercial when the little kid has the like pump up muscles when we were kids, and he comes out and he's like. Arr, and he's like pretending he's the Incredible Hulk and he crushes an ice cream cone and then he bends the rubber hose. Do you remember that? No, nope, not at all. It was awesome, dude. I'm going to find the commercial and post it for you. But it was uh, it was the, the pump-up Incredible Hulk muscles and I always wanted those. Mm, cool. Well, this has been the Church Planner Podcast on that note, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.